Hello, it's Antrice, and welcome to another episode of the Savvy Painter Podcast. Lori Lipton is my guest today. Lori creates massive, intricate drawings using her very own peculiar drawing technique. She builds up tone with thousands of fine cross-hatching lines, kind of like an egg tempera painting. So Lori and I talk about how she developed her own method of working, and she calls it giving birth to an elephant. So if that sounds painful, it was a little bit. We also talk about her need to say something about what is going on in this world. After studying at Carnegie Mellon, Lori went to live in Europe for 36 years, where she immersed herself in master art from Michelangelo to Van Eyck. And this was a time when conceptual art and installations were in vogue. Throughout her journey as an artist, Lori was consistently told, you can't do that. But her relentless pursuit and belief in herself eventually paid off. So Lori is a character. This was a really fun conversation. I had a great time talking with her about her work. I should mention, though, that there are one or two quote-unquote colorful phrases in this conversation, so fair warning if you have kids in the room. Without further ado, here is Lori Lipton. Lori, thank you so much for being on the Savvy Painter podcast with me. You're welcome. Thank you for asking me. I know you had a um, a very interesting start, I think, to your your art career that you began studying at Carnegie Mellon and, and you just kind of went off on your own. Can you talk a little bit about that? I submitted a proposal to the Carnegie Mellon faculty, me and two other uh, students, and we said we wanted to have our junior year abroad. And that usually they had junior year abroad with uh, in connection with another school, like in London or Rome. But we proposed to just travel around Europe and then present a portfolio to the faculty at the end of the year for full credits, okay? Mm. We thought they're not going to go for this. This is bullshit. They're not going to say yes. And to our surprise, they said yes. Oh, wow. And I was on scholarship, so they paid for me to travel. And because I did twice as much work as the other two students who went with me combined, they had to give me a year and a half's credit. Oh my gosh. And I didn't want to come back because I had been a little, you know, sheltered, little middle-class New York girl. And I've only seen art in books, or maybe I went to MoMA as well, but you know, and I went to Europe and I saw Michelangelo's David and I saw the Sistine Chapel and I thought, oh my God, I want to live here. I want to live in Europe. And so I called my mother and I said, I'm not coming back to finish my degree because it was, you know, Bachelor of Fine Arts, you know, big fucking artist is what I called it. It's, you know, you, you, what can you do with it? And my mother said, you're coming back. So I came back because I'm frightened. <laughs> I was frightened well, with of my mother. Of, with that tone of voice, I'd be kind of scared too. I don't know if you're doing a good impression of her or not. She's but... a, she's, she's a very, she was a very small woman, but her eyes are very scary. So <laughs> I came back and I didn't have anything to do during my senior year except to arrange to go back to Europe, really because I had all the credits and everything. And when I returned, I spoke fluent French, so I had academic credits. I just showed up for the French test. That's all. I didn't even go to class. And um, it was amazing. And then when we all came back, 
they had to stop the program because the entire junior year wanted to leave. Wow. And they couldn't allow it. So they we were the only three students who got to do that. Wow. <laughs> I mean, who would want to go to Pittsburgh when you can go run around Europe? I mean, everyone wanted to go. Oh my god, so you guys kind of started a stampede. Yeah, and they had they had to stop it. So, <laughs> it was amazing. It was really amazing. So that woke me up. I thought, you know, there's no way because I did figurative work and it wasn't fashionable in the US. And the only way I could have made a living was by teaching or advertising work, illustration work. Mm -hmm. And in Europe, I was able to make a living, not amazing living, not a fabulous living, because, you know, I made it really, really hard for myself. I did black and white pencil drawings that were disturbing. I couldn't have made it more difficult if I tried. <laughs> so, and, and they're enormous. Were you working as big? No, as I was no, no, okay. not that big. First of all, I was sleeping on people's floors and I had little tiny, you know, cold water flats in Bruges. And no, I had a travel light. <laughs> so, but I managed to get by by living off my artwork in Europe. Wow. So then did you stay, you stayed there, right? You stayed there for... I lived in six different countries and I stayed for 36 years. You deserve a medal for that. No. <laughs> I deserve a cookie. <laughs> you get the gold star. Wow. Because yeah. like, I, you know, like I mentioned in my email when I asked if you could do this interview with me, I yeah. just got back from five years and my head is spinning. So I can't imagine... Where, where were you? Where were you in five years? In Argentina. Ah, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, learning Spanish and doing all that. But nice. Uh, it, yeah, it's, it's incredible. And it's inc an incredible experience to go live mm -hmm. abroad and to see, you know, how another part of the world lives. But you did that for 37 years in six countries. <laughs> well, you know, I always felt like a foreigner. Um, here in New York, well, when I was living in New York, when I was growing up in New York, I always felt like, you know, E.T. phone home. I felt like an alien. And at least, you know, I felt like a foreigner in those other countries, but I was a foreigner. So it was more comfortable for me. Right. It makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you... Um... When you were studying, or I would consider that studying abroad, I don't know, but I consider life studying. So, but when you were abroad for that period of time, how did that influence your work? Well, strangely enough, is because, you know, I, in Bruges, I lived with, you know, very nearby Van Eyck, Memling. There was a church near me that had Madonna and Child by Michelangelo. And I used to go to the church and sit in front of Michelangelo and pray to Michelangelo. And everyone thought I was this very religious. It was very funny because I'm, I'm a New York Jew, you know, and I don't believe I'm an agnostic, really. I mean, I'm, an, I'm a Jew culturally, not religiously. And um, but I just to be near that work and to be within the proximity of these artists, um, you see, I grew up, you know, and even in my school, it was all abstract expressionists and conceptual art. And, it, you know, everyone has different tastes. That never did anything for me. But when I saw Van Eyck's The Lamb of God in Ghent, this huge altarpiece, and every blade of grass was lovingly done and all the I mean, it was just unbelievable. I, I thought, wow, you know, maybe 
maybe I could get a bit of that. Maybe it'll rub off on me. So I wanted, it was so inspiring living in these places. It was inspiring. I can't, yeah, I can't imagine because I went to Italy this past summer and for um, about six weeks and just, you know, that's such a short amount of time compared Mm -hmm. to what you're talking about. Um, But it was so overwhelming. I mean, you go in and you're seeing all these, you know, like you're saying, you're going into these churches and you're seeing all these, you know, works of art, these frescoes that are hundreds and hundreds of years old. And there's so much, you know, like the, the um, craftsmanship that goes into it is just unreal. I know. And if, you know, I, I'm stuck in alone in my studio working and working and working just to go outside and go into a museum or a church just lifted my soul. It was, it was soul food. Literally. It was wonderful. Wow. Can you um, describe your work process for people who haven't seen your drawing? I mean, I'm just going to interject here and say that Lori's drawings are just stunning, amazing. They're, they're these enormous, uh, now they're like six foot by eight foot. Is that correct? Well, I just finished one that was six foot by nine foot, but let's <laughs> so, not quibble. Let's not quibble over that extra. <laughs> and it's not big marks. I do tiny little cross hatching marks. So it's not like I'm using a big sweeping gesture. I just, it's more like, um, if you're familiar with the early uh, medieval egg tempera paintings where they used tiny white cross-hatching marks to make a form and then they glazed over it. Uh, I use tiny cross-hatching marks to make a form. I don't use a glaze or anything, but um, that's the process I do. So it's more like egg tempera painting. And all in on paper with uh, pencil. Yeah, and and... It's hard. It's very, very hard. If you go to my website uh, or you go to my Facebook page and you see these things on a computer screen, it's very hard to imagine what they're like in real life because they are rather, even if I do say so myself, they are rather impressive. (laughs) (laughs) You're allowed to say that. You're allowed to be proud of your work. (laughs) Humbly humbly speaking. (laughs) (laughs) It's really stunning. Um, And yeah, I keep looking at him going, okay, next time I'm down in LA, I am going directly to, you're at the Ace Gallery, right? Yes, right now I have a show on right now at the Ace Gallery. There's two Ace Galleries. One's in Beverly Hills. That's not the one I'm in. I'm in the Mid-Wilshire one. Okay. And how long does your show run? That's a good question. Um, he leaves them up sometimes for months. I think it's, it's, it'll be up till March. Good. Okay. Yeah. So I definitely have time to get down there. Yeah. Walk. Keep, start walking. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, so tell me about your kind of uh, normal day in the studio. I know that you are um, very disciplined in your work ethic. and. Well, I'm not. You see, people say, oh, you're so disciplined. No, I know. You have to be disciplined if you don't like something. Like to go to work in a factory or in in an office, you have to be disciplined. But I love what I – it's – you know what? All I have to do all day is draw, and that to me is bliss. I used to have to waitress. I had to work in a box office in Holland, which was very, very funny. The only (laughs) The only thing I knew how to say in Dutch was, please pick up the ticket at a quarter past eight. It was very funny. <laughs> so if someone asked me, what's the play about? Where can I park? I just kept repeating this one line over and over. <laughs> anyway, so, um, so I, you know, I just, I get up in the morning, I do my Facebook 
fan page thingy and, and, and um, answer people and do things like that and do my emails. And then I go to my drawing table and I put on music or I put on my BBC iPlayer, which is radio plays. And I sit there and I draw. And then I have lunch and then I go back and draw. And then I might have a little snack and I go back and draw and then I go to bed. <laughs> a very exciting life. Oh, but it's like heaven. <laughs> it is heaven. This is what I always want. When I was a child, I wanted to be left alone and draw, but my mother always saying, go out and play, you know, do this, do that. So I had to go to school. It was a nightmare. Now I don't have to go to school. I don't have to go out and play. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, can I know. Say. It's very funny. It is funny. This this past weekend, I, I will tell you, I had the it was the funniest experience, like just like that, where um, I live in Mammoth, which is sort of like a ski resort area. Oh, nice. Yeah. And um, I do love to ski and I have friends who love to ski. And so they were up here all weekend, but it was just, I needed to paint. I needed to mm -hmm. do my stuff. So it was just over and over again. They're like, are you coming up? And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're in your happy place. I'm in mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Although I love, you know, it's so funny because I'm, I'm an introverted extrovert. I love people. And I love it when I, you know, go to openings and stuff and, and see people. And But my bliss is being alone in my studio drawing, a nice, big, juicy drawing. I totally understand that. I, I you know, like it's funny because I think most artists do understand that. I think there's nobody yeah. else who doesn't. <laughs> Well, I don't, you know, unless you like that, you can't be an artist because it takes so much alone time to create, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's definitely true. It's very, very tough. And you know what? The older I get, the tougher it gets. Why is uh, that? Because I have a lot of other things going on now and, you know, my friends and, you know, it's, it's hard to get a whole day to myself, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, and, and also it's, you know, it's just tougher sitting there physically. It's very tough. I have, that's another thing, I go to the gym a lot. I go to the gym three times a week now. I, I don't go, you know, gleefully. I go because I want to draw. I have to keep myself in shape. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, got, you've, yeah if you're not moving, you're, I've noticed when I'm, um, I stand up at least uh, when I paint. So, I mean, right. I'm not sitting in a chair, but when I'm doing, you know, stuff for this podcast, there's times when I'm sitting in the chair for the entire day and I stand up and I'm like, wow. <laughs> 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 yeah, I guess the body is designed to move. I got to keep that going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Um, how do you pick your subject matter? Well, usually I pick a theme if I'm going to have a show. Like this show I have in Ace right now, I called it, um, I made up this title, Techno Rococo. Because it's all about swirling wires and technology and screens and how we're living through screens and how it's, you know, affecting us and everything. And once I have the theme, then my brain stops popping like popcorn and I start getting a lot of images. And when I'm sitting there drawing... I'm spending a lot of time sitting there, and some more images come in. I have a little notebook that I write down. I jot down titles and little sketches. So I'm usually, I, I usually have about 50 drawings to do in my head. Whether I get to them or not is another thing. But I, I've all, you know, knock on wood, I've always had so many images in my head 
that I've been very lucky. Wow. And how, yeah. do, you, how do you select which ones you're going to... Well, one leads to the next. It's very interesting. Once I finish, you know, like a week before, even two weeks before I finish a drawing, the next one logically pops up. There's a logical progression to them. Uh-huh. Yeah, because they do seem, I don't know, like the... There is a bit of narrative to them. Like they're mm. so, they're so in that the content is so juicy. And I think that's partly because both the detail and the imagery, you know, they both pull you in sort of in equal amounts. Well, also the kind of, you know, some people have called me a surrealist, but I, I really don't believe I am. My stuff is more like the narrative paintings of the early Middle Ages, you know, the religious paintings, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where they're telling a story because people couldn't read at that time and. They're telling it, you know, like the birth of the Virgin, Christ's life, and you see this all happening in this environment, and they're telling a story. And that's what my work is like. It's not dream imagery. I'm actually telling a story about 21st century life, about what my experiences are about 21st century life. And I'm, I'm reflecting what I'm experiencing through my artwork. So it is a narrative. And it's a shame, you know... A, my work has not been very fashionable because, you know, narrative work. Someone said to me, narrative work went out in the Middle Ages, okay? Oh, okay. But narrative work has never gone out. Narrative work is the oldest form of art we have. Look at the cave paintings. Right. So, yeah, I mean. <laughs> well, I mean, that's like saying that storytelling is dead. I mean, exactly. we're human beings. We exactly. respond to stories and we respond to exactly. that. And we have a natural tendency or a natural curiosity, we want to know more. Right, exactly. And especially in this day and age, you know, I know there's a lot of um, artists who just do color field or do, you know, decorative work or light boxes or whatever. But I really feel that we need to say something. (laughs) What's going on? I mean, I mean, there's room for everything that's happening. I'm not saying, you know, one form of art is right and one form isn't, although people say that anyway, you know, critics. I know, but, um, I really feel beholden to say something about what's going on. I really do. And what do you, what are you saying now? What's going on? Well, if I could say it in words, I said that to somebody, uh, you know, if I could say it in words, I'd write, you know, Mm -hmm. because I believe images are much more powerful than words. And I believe music is much more powerful than images. But unfortunately, I'm not a musician. (laughs) But um, I, you know, you look at my work and you tell me, you know, it's, it's they're, they're like, they totally yank you in. They're kind of disturbing. Like, there's always something that just makes you kind of look closer or just kind of yeah. go, wait what good exactly <laughs> that's what I want can you tell me a little bit I'm curious do you was there a moment or a decision you made in your career that you feel was a personal success either to you as like as to you as the artist or to your work that's an interesting question it's been so organic and so gradual all my work all my my career it's been like a slow molasses move towards one thing and another. But in the beginning, when I was first starting out and trying to create with pencils, um, somebody asked me, oh, what, why you do pencils? Can't you paint? And the thing is, I can paint, and I can paint very, very well. But I found pencils very, very difficult to do and very challenging. Mm-hmm. 
So I was trying to create these pieces with pencil and to do something I had never seen before. And it was like trying to give birth to an elephant. It was a slow creep. Every every pencil drawing I did crept towards what I wanted. I didn't I couldn't tell you what I wanted. I just knew what I didn't want. So I kept trying and trying and trying and finally I broke through and I got a way to make a pencil drawing that no one else has done. It was very, it was totally me. It was totally Liptonian. <laughs> and that was a major accomplishment. That was, I think I was about 22 when that happened. Wow. That was major. Yeah, that would be. And you describe it like giving birth to mm. an elephant. Was it equally painful? Very, very painful and frustrating. And it's very interesting. Kids get in touch with me now online and say, oh, how did you do this? I want to draw like you. What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> and how do you answer them? Well, I say, I say, bubbler. Um, <laughs> go into a room, lock it and draw for 50 years. Then we'll talk. You know, it's, it takes work. Oh. People say, people ask me, what kind of paper do you use? What kind of pencil? That doesn't matter. It's the hours. It's the hours you put in. What, who's said, you know, 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration? It's hours. It's only a question of time. If you want something badly enough and you push yourself enough, you'll get it. Yeah. Consistency. Mm. Yeah. Desire. It, yeah. yeah. Consistency, dedication, passion. Desire, passion, yeah. Inability to give up. <laughs> well, it's a kind of sickness. <laughs> I, it, I think it might be. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, for at least speaking for myself, I wonder about that sometimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, wow, that's it. That's amazing. And what were you um, looking at during that time? Were you looking at specific artists or, speci or a specific genre? Well, that was just it. I wanted to do something I'd never seen before. Although I did gravitate towards a specific kind of art, which was detailed, you know, the egg temper, the, like the early medieval kind of art. Mm -hmm. um, I loved Van Eyck, as I said, Jan Van Eyck. I loved Rembrandt. I loved Memling. I loved M.C. Escher. Mm -hmm. I loved... Um, so people who, you know, figurative work and very, very detailed, very accomplished work. You know, they, it, it was, they knew their craft. They'd put in those hours. Yes. Yeah. That's what I admired. If I look at something like rocks on the floor, you know, and someone, you know, people say, oh, I can do that. And then the response is, yes, but you didn't. And my response to that is, yes, because I'm too intelligent and I wouldn't waste my time. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a big <laughs> conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. But, you know, you've seen one rock on the floor, you've seen them all. And a lot of the stuff that's going on now, I've seen in the 1960s in New York, you know, the blank canvases, the, but anyway, yeah, right. Uh, so I look at that and think, no, boring. And then I look at something like even even Francis Bacon, that was new, original, and, and powerful. Yeah. You think, yes, I don't want to paint like him. I don't want to be like him. But yes, yes, you know. Yeah, the Pope, the scream, the Pope oh, yeah. scream. Oh, yeah, it was just, new. Yeah, and he also, I mean, he also 
he was going after something. He didn't, yes. you know, just paint this one thing and go, okay, I did that. I right. mean, he did it many, many times to try to, like, figure out the thing that he was looking for. He painted like Francis Bacon. He didn't paint yeah. like anybody else. And that's what I wanted. I wanted to draw like Laurie Lipton, not like anybody else. And you did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one else would do this. This is crazy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Can you, um, so on the flip side of that, um, finding the, the personal success part, um, is there, can you share a story of a time in your journey when you encountered a big setback or experienced failure? God, how, how much time do you have? We have all the time you want. Lori. Well, of course, there's like you know? <laughs> 90%. I mean, I was always constantly, constantly being told I can't do that. Constantly by galleries, by friends. Everyone said to me, you can't do that. My teachers at Carnegie Mellon said, you can't do that. You can't do figurative. As I said, you know, figurative work went out in the middle ages. Mm -hmm. Galleries said, you know, we love your stuff, but we don't show pencil drawings. Do you paint? Um, then other galleries said, we love your stuff. Do you do something that's not disturbing? Then other galleries said, we love your stuff. Can you please put color in there? I mean, you know, I was constantly being told I was wrong, constantly. So I waitressed and I, you know, worked in other ways to get money and I kept on. That takes so much. Um... It takes a, a, a modicum of self-belief. And the reason a lot I had, of self-belief. <laughs> well, it, the reason I had the self-belief was because of my parents. Uh, they always, always, I was drawing when I was about four years old. And they always encouraged me, always. And because of that, I had the courage and the conviction to just say, well, fuck you, I'm doing it anyway, you know? Right. What did you take away from that experience? Like, Did it teach you anything? It taught me to trust myself. Because there were moments when I didn't, of course. I mean... I'm not that confident. I mean, I sound like it now because I'm in my 60s, but in my 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s, no. <laughs> like until 59. Yeah, well, until like yesterday. No, um, it's difficult. But, you know, I did have some friends and people who believed in me. I had collectors in various countries who believed in me. And... I don't regret having these low moments because it pushed me further, you know? Right. I'm glad I didn't have early success, although I wouldn't have been at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's always the hard part. And I'm curious, too, like when you're in those, like, those moments where you're just like, what? am I doing? Am I, am, is this, <laughs> am I psychotic? I mean, or is this, am I doing something because I believe in it and so much that this is going to work or am I completely deluding myself? Well, I knew I was deluding myself. <laughs> That's beside the point. I mean, I am so self-delusional. I have a fabulous uh, imagination. So that goes along with the, with the ride, but I, I, you know, I'm slightly obsessional. I don't know if you've noticed that with my work. Possibly. And this obsession has driven me. It's always been inside of me. It's like a separate being. This thing inside of me makes me want to work. And I didn't have a choice. I know that sounds weird, 
but I did not have a choice to stop. I needed to do it. I wanted it more than anything, more than money, more than fame, more than anything. And I really suffered. I lived in terrible cold water flats. I lived in horrible situations. I mean, there was a place in Amsterdam where, where I used to live. It was in a slum. And they used my front door in a film, a, a Dutch film about poverty in the 1930s in Holland. They used my building. Um, at night, there were mice running around and they used to run over my feet while I was drawing, and I would scream. Oh, my God. And the mice would scream. Did you ever hear a mouse scream in the middle of the night? It's like, <laughs> It was, I, I, you know, I, I used to live off of this dried, it's called ramen. I don't know if you, like dried noodles. Yeah, like top ramen. It's like, a, yeah, it's like in a packet, and you put boiled water on it. I couldn't crap for years. It was terrible. <laughs> it was like... I couldn't, I mean, I mean, if anything gets bad now, I think, you know, what am I complaining about? I can eat organic fresh fruit. I mean, what, what? you know, I'm sleeping in a comfortable place. I mean, I have a, I have a shower, you know, I used to have to take a shower from, I had to attach a hose on the sink and stand in a plastic tub. Oh my gosh. You'd have, you know, I just, I I didn't care. I did not care. I had to draw. I didn't care. Now I care. Yeah. I can do it now. (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting. There's a, well, in Argentina, there's a saying and the translation is, is loosely that, you know, it's easier to get, it's easier to to get accustomed if you're moving up than moving down. So when you're, you know, as you're gradually improving your lifestyle, it's super easy to get used to it. But if you had to go back two steps, you'd cry. Are you kidding me? I'd get hysterical. (laughs) I slept out in the park at one point and I used to beg tickets. I lived in Aix-en-Provence and there was a big university town. Uh And I used to say, vous avez un ticket à vendre to the students. You could buy a ticket for 15 francs for food you know they had they gave out tickets for food for the students and oh, you could wow. you could you could see you could get in there and then stuff your pockets with bread and eat for the whole day wow that's that's like miserable <laughs> <laughs> i'm just imagining <laughs> so you found ways to survive you know in these crazy towns and these but it was better than being poor in New York. I'll tell you that for free. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no cockroaches. Yeah, rather mice than cockroaches. Yeah, no, oh. mice are cuter. <laughs> but still, that would totally freak me out. I've had one run across my feet sleeping, camping, but never in my own house. No, yeah, unfortunately. Oh, God. <laughs> um, oh, my God, I had a question and I just totally <laughs> lost it. <laughs> Should I just carry on until you recover yourself? Or? <laughs> I'm still, ima- I'm You're still, I'm still like at the vision of all this in my head. <laughs> so during that time, you are obsessed with your artwork and you don't give a shit where you live. You are just going for it. Yeah. When did it start to turn around? Like what, what was, was there a pivotal moment for you that you did or that somebody else, like what happened? 
No, there was, as I said, it was just a molasses movement. It was just a slow schlep towards making a living. At first, I had to do a lot of illustration work for magazines and book covers. And then I was taken up by a private library in Holland. They had the largest collection of books on alchemy and mysticism in Europe. And I was given a a commission to reinterpret a book from the 15th century called The Splendor Solace. And this book was the original of the tarot cards. The tarot cards were based on that. And this man had his own private, I mean, this unbelievable collection. What a cool project. I know, no kidding. I I was drinking with the private librarian of the library. He used to go out and drink with us. (sighs) Then he saw my work and he said, he used to call me Miss Lipton. He'd go, Miss Lipton? Who else can draw like you? Nobody. I will introduce you to the library. And so he did. And I did colored pencil drawings of alchemical drawings. And he kept me alive for a very long time. And my work is now in his collection. He also collects Rembrandts. And I make a joke because I'm in a vault with Rembrandt. Wow. And I make a joke in 200 years, they're going to open the vault and they're going to go, Oh my God, who is this artist with Lori Lipton? <laughs> <laughs> We've never seen such a thing. Oh, wow. This guy's good. Yeah, he's not, he's not that bad. <laughs> but that really was a lifesaver. And meanwhile, I had shows in cafes. I had shows in theaters. Then I had shows in little galleries. And I had shows in bigger galleries. Then I had chosen bigger, bigger galleries. So it was all very, very gradual. There was no like major breakthrough. Every time I had a show, I thought, oh, this will be a breakthrough. But it never, you know, you make a little sales and you do the next show. It's just constant work. It's yeah. just work. You know, yeah, not to be so <laughs> oversimplifying mm-hmm. or blasé about it, but it's kind of like life, right? I mean, your everyday moments really aren't that exciting, but those tiny little moments are sort of the most memorable or the ones that yeah. should be the most. Right. You know, there's no lightning bolts or like. It's unfortunate because I always wanted one. Yeah. I always, you yeah. know, I wanted the, the clouds to part and the light to come down and the angels to sing and, you know, all that. But so yeah, really did. And they point at you and go, we have chosen you. <laughs> That's right. You get the tap on the shoulder. <laughs> it's a long wait. <laughs> <laughs> But I do have a documentary coming out now. You do? Speaking of lightning bolts. That's a good one. Tell me about yeah, that. Yeah, as, all right. Well, you know, I lived in London for 26 years. Can't you tell by the accent? I mean, you know, really. <laughs> um, oh, by the way, Madonna lived in London for two months and she started talking like this. Hello. Oh, I Hello. Know. So anyway. Yeah, really. The fake, um, yeah. Yeah. So as I'm leaving to come to L.A., to move back after all that time, a guy contacts me like a week before. We're we're talking down by the wire and he goes, Lori, I've always admired your work. I'm a film editor. I want to do my own projects. I want to do my own documentary film. And I wondered if you would agree to it. You know, I would love to make a film about you and your artwork. And... I met him, and he was a re- he still is a really nice guy. And I said, but I'm sorry, Jim, I'm moving. 
So he said, well, let me film you move. And I said, Jim, <laughs> darling, I am slightly stressed. I am moving continents. I will kill you. I don't know you, but you seem like a nice guy. I don't think you should die, you know? So, he's, so instead, he filmed my empty apartment after I left, and he interviewed my landlady, and it was a riot. It was very, very funny. And he sent me the, you know, the, the little clip, and I thought, oh, my God, this is fabulous. This is really good. And then he came to L.A., and he's been working on this film for four years. Uh, he call, you know, I used to call him my international stalker. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I used to, at one point I said, you know, because it was four years, and I said, Jim, is there film in that camera? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you know, I'm getting suspicious. This is real. <laughs> I'm getting suspicious. So anyway, it's going to come out soon. It'll be out soon. I'll, you know, I'll let you know. It's going to be oh, on my please. website and my and my Facebook page. But it looks, it's really, really good. I mean, even if I do say so myself, he has a very good sense of humor, uh-huh. and he's he just won an award for film ed- editing at the Sundance Film Festival. Oh, cool. What's his name? With, uh, Jim Scott. Jim Scott. Okay. And so, no, it's, so that's nice. That was, that was a bolt out of the blue. Yeah, that's very cool. And how, what a great honor for him to win the Sundance. Oh yeah. Can you imagine how much competition there was? No. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) yes, no. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. exactly. Kind of (laughs) no. He's very, very talented and he has very good taste. Well, of course, obviously. Obviously. So I like to ask this question because it um, partly because it introduces me to new artists and also because it makes people squirm. Um, mm. <laughs> if you could own a piece of art by any living artist, what would it be or whose? Well, I've just seen an exhibition of Justin Bower. His work, he used to be with Ace Gallery, and he has a show right now at the um, Museum in Lancaster called the Museum of Art History, MOA. And he was giving a talk, and I was facing this huge painting for 40 minutes. And I thought, oh, my God, I want that painting. I want it. I want it, and I want it now. But I can't afford it, but I would love it. I would buy that. So, yes, Justin Bauer, B-O-W-E-R. And I also... um, um, Do you know the name of the painting? No, but it's huge. It's his biggest work. It's not the size, it's how you use it. But his stuff is, it's like a combination of Francis Bacon and digital work and the the Fovis. And it's hard to describe his work. They're portraits, but they look like digital glitches. It's very strange the way he paints, but it's original. And he's, it's Justin Bauer. He's not copying anybody. Right. Um, I'd also like um, Mark Ryden, mm-hmm. a little one from him, not a big one, a little like a little jewel of his. Um, I'd also like, um, uh, I, you know, my name thing is I have a terrible name. Uh, I will know after we hang up with each other. You're going to wake up at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I'm going to bolt up, right? Because my names, I just really, really bad with them. But there are a couple. There are a couple. What advice would you give to yourself, the artist that you were, say, 10 years ago? I know the advice I'd give to myself in my 20s. What's that? 
buy Apple shares. <laughs> <laughs> that would save me waitressing, I'll tell you that much. And you'd be set right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really. Um, I would have said... No, I wouldn't tell myself anything because I need to. I need the process of worrying and stress, and I need to. Everything I have done has brought me to where I am right now, and that's where I'm supposed to be. I don't think I would change, change it. anything. No, no, je ne regrette rien. Yeah, I think. I mean, I feel like there's like some things that I, you know, like I would want to say just. Like either you're on the right track, or mm. things like that. But even yeah, even the most the things that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy, I don't regret those happening either. Mm. Because you have to. I mean, <clears throat> you find strength that you didn't know you had, and then you get to keep that. And I think the uncertainty is necessary. You know, I think uncertainty and anxiety are necessary fuels to push you further. I can see that um, mm-hmm. because, yeah, I mean, it's like knowing, you know, knowing the end of a book or the end of a movie that it, it's not, you know, if somebody right giving you all the spoilers, then <laughs> yeah, you don't want to bother really. <laughs> and it's really not that interesting. No, exactly. Yeah. Um, can you describe a single habit that you strongly believe contributes to your success? Obsessiveness. I'm habit forming. Everything I do that I like, I overdo it. Everything. Everything. Give so me an example. Good. Well, I'm in AA. Mm-hmm. There we are. Um, anything I like, I do to excess. So my drawing, I do to excess, which is good. Yeah, that's a good But anything thing. else is. <laughs> <laughs> that can be bad. I have to watch myself. I really do. Yeah. I'm very strict with myself. Because I want to live a very, very long time. I want to draw till I'm 120. You know, I mean, I know we're all living longer and longer yeah. and longer, but um, I want to be healthy and draw till I'm 120. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> but I always think, I mean, I don't know, just for me at least, I wouldn't, you know, again, I wouldn't really change it. But there was so much sort of struggle and trying to figure out, figure things out, you know, artistically. Um, and I always feel like no matter where you get, there's so much more to learn. Yeah, exactly. I'm not done yet. In fact, I'm just getting good. I'm just getting started. Yeah. And, you have and you know, like, I don't know, like, I've seen these, um, you know, quotes or whatever from artists who are in their 80s. And it's mm. like, you know, I'm still, you know, in my infancy with this. And I, it makes me wonder what would happen if we did live to like 120, 30, 40, 50 years. If you could dedicate that much to your craft what would happen <laughs> well you'd be very very good at it yeah you would uh, yeah you, <laughs> really <laughs> you would be very good at it but at a certain point the technique is kind of is irrelevant right I mean mm. you've got to have something to say well that's true I agree with you totally there yeah so that's what I think would be really interesting to see somebody you know and that's why I think artists and art gets gets more interesting as people progress throughout their lives is that they're, you know, like, like, like you said, like the age that you're at now is the age that you want to be at because, you know, you've had all these experiences and, and you're like pulling them all together and growing from it. So to continue that, just like 
crazy. Wow. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I don't have a word for that. <laughs> awesome gets used too much. I don't know. Uh, yeah. No, especially in California. Yeah. And like, and all this other stuff that I'm Yeah, I know. I'm slowly. saying like a lot too now. Are you? Somebody shoot me. Uh, <laughs> I keep uh. catching myself. And worse, since I do this podcast, then I have to go back and I listen to myself talk. And mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. Well, if I have too many likes in this, can you please edit it out? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't catch any. I don't think so. Oh, all right. Okay. <laughs> do you have, um, I'll give you, this will be the, the last question for you. Do you have a drawing that you will always keep that you would never give away? No, because I need the room. I need to make room for my next work. I People, uh, a couple of times they've asked me, what's your favorite drawing? And I always say the next one. Because once a drawing's finished, I'm not involved in it anymore. It's done. I'm on to the next problem, you know, the next project. And the challenge is, is a, these drawings are huge challenges. And if you have anything to do with drawing whatsoever and you see my work, you will know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they are very, very difficult to do. And that's why I like it. Right. I don't want it easy. And um, so, yeah, I just wanted to get rid of them. So make room for the next ones. I'm not sentimental at all. What I'm working on is what's interesting to me. Yeah. And when I'm done, I'm, I'm done. So I can, I can relate to that in some mm -hmm. way. Although if there's um, something that either was happening that somehow that um, painting has a memory, a strong memory that I want to hang on to it or right. sort of a breakthrough. Right. But I lied. I do have another question for you. Aha. <laughs> because we've been, you know, we've been talking a little bit about um, your technique and how much time you have dedicated to get your drawings to where they are now. Do you feel like you're now past that point that I kind of mentioned that your technique is, are you still learning to draw for lack of a better way to put it? Well, I was getting bored, and then I was asked by the Ace Gallery to do huge drawings, and that saved me. It was a major challenge, and it changed everything, and it brought into play all my years and years and years and years of work. So doing these huge pieces have really, really been a wonderful, juicy challenge. So not yet, no. That's really interesting because this might be opening up a can of worms, but I've, mm. I've talked about this with, with other artists. Mm. How much influence do you feel is okay for a gallery to have over your work? Well, you know, um, the ace also said to me, oh, why don't you do this and this and this? And I said, well, no, <laughs> mm -hmm. no. And they keep, you know, Douglas, uh, the guy who runs the ACE, said, oh, I would like you to do this. And I went, no. And he accepted it mm -hmm. because he wants my work. But when he did say, I want you to do large drawings, I said, yes. Because so, that's something that interests me. Yeah, you. that's something I have always wanted to do. And in fact, I would love to be commissioned by a museum to do a whole room. I want to get even bigger. Oh, you know, wow. I just want to... Now, you know, control the universe. Now I want to get bigger and bigger and bigger and, you know, just 
Oh, but, wow. I am just yeah. imagining walking into a, a, a I would love room. you to walk into one of my drawings. Oh, my God. Exactly. That's my <laughs> response. Oh, my God. Like, you know, you go around the – it would be the outside of a drawing, and then you can walk into it. Wow. I already see it in my head. I already know what it's going to be. Oh, you have to do this. How can you do this? There's I don't no- know. Do you know any museums who can commission people? I want to do it quickly before I get too old. <laughs> Hurry up! Somebody. There has got there. It's out there. There has to be. Well, I'm gonna. St- I don't know. I don't know if I like who I can you, ask. But if you know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's my next thing. That's what I want to do. Oh my gosh! You have to. You have to do it. Like just so I can walk into it. That's so selfish. <laughs> you have to do this. <laughs> I will Can do you- it just for your sake. <laughs> yeah, um, Lori, I know I don't really know you that well, but if you wouldn't mind just spending the next, I don't okay. know, five or ten years doing this for me, that would okay. be great. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want to do. But, you know, sometimes galleries, you know, really influence artists, and that's wrong, you know, because artists shouldn't, you know, it's... I know it's about selling and I know it's about money, but that shouldn't be the point. Right. I feel like there's a line, there's a, there's this relationship that can easily be tainted because of of course there's there's money involved. But you know, when you have a a good relationship with a gallery and they're trying to push you because they might, you know, they like your work, they like your work. And if it's been a long relationship, then they've seen you progress and probably struggle with a few things, or maybe they might pick up on, like you said, the fact that you're getting a little bored doing something and right. they want to encourage you. So I think that's okay because the, you know, they're, the intent is to help you as an artist grow. And it, it of course helps them. Yeah, of course. But yeah, when they're giving out recipes, then. No, I mean, in, in when I was younger, a gallery said to me, oh, do you have to do so disturbing? Why don't you do some nice drawings of like naked women or something that'll sell immediately? And I was very, very poor at the time. And I said, no, because why, why would, you know, I know artists that would say yes, actually. But for me personally, this is not right or wrong. It's just me personally. I spent a lot of times, a lot of time and effort on my work. Mm-hmm. And unless I'm passionately involved, um, I don't, why bother? Yeah. You know, I'd rather make my money some other way. Yeah. And the other piece of that is, you know, you, you struggled so much for your, your artwork Mm. because you believed in it. And if you had, you know, kind of cracked and pandered to what they were asking, you know, pandered to the audience and said, okay, I'll do these naked, naked women so that I can get out of this, then Mm. what was the point of all that suffering? Exactly. Exactly. And also, I mean, I'm, I'm at a certain point in my career that if some gallerist says to me, oh, why don't you do this? I mean, they're crazy because I'm not a young artist starting out. They would, you know, that's nuts to say that. That's very disrespectful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so don't ever compromise yourself. Nope. No. Lori, thank you so much for taking the time to talk No, to thank me. you. It was, a, it was a pleasure. Yes. And I can't wait to come down and see your work in person. I'm so excited. Well, tell me when you're coming. We can go have coffee. I would love that. (laughs) A coffee. I would absolutely love that. 
And you are at uh, LaurieLipton.com, and you're showing yeah. the Ace Gallery in Los Angeles. Yes. And you are also on uh, Facebook, correct? Right. Facebook, um, Lori Lipton slash art, I think it is. Okay. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I know I did. As always, go to SavvyPainter.com for links to everything that we talked about and to see examples of Lori's drawings. And while you're there, make sure you don't miss an episode of the podcast. Sign up for show updates and free guides at SavvyPainter.com. I haven't seen Lori's work yet in person, but her drawings, I think, need to be experienced live. So if you are in Los Angeles or you're just passing through, you can see her work at the Ace Gallery. Before we go, just a quick note, if you can't get enough of Savvy Painter and you're not sick of hearing my voice in your ear yet, you'll be happy to know that Savvy Painter is going back to the weekly format. Yes, that's right. Once a week, you'll get a new episode. So next week, I talk with the figurative artist Andrew Salgado. He's a Canadian living in London. Another great conversation. So that will come out next Thursday. I owe a lot of thanks to the people who have donated to make this podcast possible. Karen O'Connell, Jeanette Gray, Dean Fisher, thank you so much. Christine Rasmussen, I hope I say this name correctly. Hmm, Zochitil Shui? I'm totally butchering your name. I'm so sorry, but thank you so much. Anne Spoon, Aaron Littlejohn, Gary Yoder, Elizabeth Monroe, Kathy Beeler, Ellie Boyd, Sheila Harnish, Barry Koplowitz, Gail Height, Winslow Art Center, Tom Breeden, hello Tom, James Foreman, Sarah Khan, and Carolyn Green. Thank you so much for your support. It means so much to me. Until next week, this is Antrice Wood with the Savvy Painter Podcast. Thank you so much for listening.